Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We are a family on a journey to become more like Christ, sharing His kingdom by expressing His love. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. I want to talk to you this morning about the testing of faith, the testing of our faith, the testing of your faith. You know, there are degrees of faith, and there are different kinds of faith. I think we, we, we so often oversimplify faith. I don't think faith needs to be something that is complicated, but there are different kinds of faith that work in different ways. There's an initial faith that God grants to every single, or has granted to every single one of us here this morning, which is the faith which enables us to believe and to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's the faith that is able to identify Him and say, that is truly the Son of God, that is the Messiah. And this faith is a special faith. The Bible says this faith, this faith is a gift. It's not the kind of faith you can muster. It's not something you can, even of your own cerebral powers, come to a conviction of. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So in other words, there is an initial gift of faith that God gives and makes available. Now some people reject the gift. You know you can reject a gift, right? Anybody, I mean, in the day and the age of take a lot, you, you place your order, you can reject the order. I'm not signing. And a lot of people do that with the gift of faith that God desires to give. But for those who receive it, this gift becomes a wellspring of life within. It brings the very life and the love of God into the, 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 the lived experience, into the soul, the very being of man, and enables us to walk in a relationship of deep trust. You see, ultimately, this faith places our eternity into the hands of Jesus. You could argue that there is no greater faith than saving faith. It is the biggest kind of faith. I know we often glorify faith for healing or faith for great wonders and works and miracles, but is there a greater miracle than receiving salvation, than being passed from death into life, translated from darkness into light? That's got to be the most marvelous miracle of them all. It is through that miracle, it is through that faith that all other kinds of faith find their expression. And we praise God for this wonderful faith. It is based on a deep trust that God is who He says He is, that He is love, that He loved me. It has to be very personal. Yes, God loved the whole world and I'm a part of that, but God loved me in it. We sometimes don't have a problem with God loving somebody else, but the struggle is that God loves me and that He will do according to all His promises that He makes to me in His Word. There's a deep trust, and that's faith. It's a belief that despite, or, or, or that defies in many instance, nat, instances natural logic. Have, you, have any of you seen Jesus? Yet you are here this morning singing songs to Him as this great and wonderful name. Why? Because of your faith. Because you believe. Have any of you seen God? Were any of you around when the world was created? I wasn't. Some of us may feel like we were. But yet we believe. 
Because there's something wonderful that happens on a personal and an intimate relational level when we enter this, enter this initial faith where a deep relationship of trust is built. You see, I have a deep relationship of trust with my wife. It's obviously different to God. I'm not entrusting my salvation to her. But I know her well, and the more I get to know her, the more I, I, I trust and rely on and depend on her. And that's the same with us and God. What you and I do with this precious gift of faith will determine our experience with God and will shape the very course of our lives. Some people sort of take this initial faith as if to say, I now have my heaven QR code, and I'll take this to heaven one day with me. I'll put it in my back pocket here. And one day when I get to those gates of pearl, and Peter says, where is your pass? I'll bring out my device, and I'll go to my QR code, and I'll look for the scanner and say, well, here we go. This entrance is guaranteed. I've got my ticket, right? Because I said a prayer once into Jesus. Well, that's not real faith, is it? That's not a relationship that walks with God on the daily, that looks to Him and desires to live a life that brings glory to His name. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says this, Without faith it is impossible to please Him. It's impossible to please God. No matter how hard we try, the only thing God is looking for is faith. Faith pleases God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists, that, stands, that seems a self-evident point, and that He rewards those who diligently seek Him. There is a reward in seeking God. What is the reward in seeking anything? Finding it. Very simple, right? You have a treasure hunt. What is the reward? The reward is finding it at the end. Now, it can be great, but sometimes just the finding it is, is the wonderful thing. And I want to share with you this morning some things that I've learned along the way of my journey of faith in trusting God and depending on Him. And we're going to look at some of the people in the Bible. And this whole idea of the testing of our faith. You know, faith is not some quick fix solution of you pray today and you see instant results. Now that may seem to fly in the face of what Craig was trying to teach us a moment ago. But it doesn't. It doesn't. Yes, God expects us to pray and to believe for results when we pray. Amen? That's the prayer of faith, and we can talk about that perhaps a little bit more later if time allows. But the journey of faith is not, is not like a vending machine where I find something, all right, I go to the vending machine and I say, I feel like, uh, okay, that's what I feel like today. What is that? Okay. I punch in the code, this scripture versus this, and I push the button, and then there comes my answer. And it's in its full form, and I get to enjoy it and open it and go, look, 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 look. Ah. Faith doesn't work like that. Amen? The promises of God don't work that way. There are levels to faith. It's very interesting if you study the life of Jesus. There are times when he says to his own disciples who have given up everything and are following him, he says to them, how is it that you have no faith? You kind of think, but they're following him, they're walking with him every single day, and yet he says to them, you have no faith. When they wake him up in the boat, they say, please save us, we're going to die. Other times he says, your faith is small. There's an account where a centurion comes to him and asks him to heal his servant, 
And he says, don't, you don't even need to come to my house. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. And Jesus marvels at this man and says, this man's not even a Jew. And yet I have not seen such great faith in all of Israel. So there's no faith. There's small faith. There's great faith. What does that mean? Is that all just trust? Is it having a deep revelation of how God works and what He's doing in the midst of the process? I think it's both. I think it's an intimate walk. I think it's the ability to stand and to believe what God says despite circumstances around us that will carry us through those circumstances with a vital and a rich hope that ultimately sees the end before it is realized and guides us by the hand into the fulfillment of that promise. You see, genuine faith will be able to endure some testing. Anything that is worth value or has value, carries value, is tested. You think of the diamond that is in your ring, ladies. That diamond is tested. They stick it under a microscope and they look for any faults. What do they call them? Flaws. They look at the clarity and they look at the color. And based on those things, they will sculpt and shape and cut that diamond to bring out its radiance and its, its brilliance. But that, that color or that clarity and the absence or the presence of any faults and some carrots determines the value of that diamond. Not all diamonds carry the same value, do they? Not even all diamonds of the same size. Your car has to be tested. You know, in South Africa, we've got something called the Bureau of... I almost said investigation. The Bureau of Standards, the SABS. And their job is to take appliances and test them. They say that this is what this toaster can do. It can toast so many slices of bread. Its handle can, handle so, can, can, can tolerate so many pushes down and pops up. And so there's somebody who has the job, who gets paid to do this. Okay, I lied. It's probably done by a machine. But they test those claims, right? You know, the moment you make a claim of faith in God, you give the enemy legal right to test your claims. Did you know that? Why? Because we are existing in this world to bring God's kingdom into this place, which means we exist in a realm which we are called to colonize with the atmosphere of heaven. And we make certain very bold claims of God based on the word that He gives us. And do you think that the environment around us is just going to ro roll over and yield to those claims? No, there's resistance. There are tests. And your tests and, what you, and, and, and your faith and what you say you truly believe will be tested. You say you believe that God is your provider. Do you really believe that? If you say so, you're going to be tested. You're going to be tested. God is your source. God is your wisdom. I can do all things through Christ. Really? Now, the Bible says these things about us, and we love to claim them, and we should. But what we need to realize is that our initial understanding of how these things work and the outworking of these things is very shallow until they are truly tested and our heart motives are truly revealed and what we truly believe comes to the surface. And I want to say there are degrees to this. I have over the far past few, the past 15, 20 years, been on a journey in, in, in faith 
for provision, for example. And there are times when you stand strong. There are other times when you wobble. Something comes in and causes you to question everything again. I want you to understand, that's happened to me numerous times along the way, just concerning this very subject. Concerning other things as well, but let's just talk about this area, because right now, that, that's practical. Something happens. Needs pop up that you weren't expecting. Or situations arise, or a way of thinking is sown into your heart and mind that causes you to question everything again. Now that questioning is not necessarily a lack of faith. It's a questioning of yourself concerning your faith. And I want to say that is such a valuable thing to do and such a valuable thing to have. You see, there is no genuine faith that, that, that is not able to endure testing. If it's not able to endure, if it's not able to stand, to make it through the fire, what you thought was faith was presumption or deception or misguided intention, just good intentions sometimes. But real faith, Real faith is the stuff that is able to stand and endure. And when we look at Scripture and we look at the heroes of our faith, and I just, as I was preparing, just listed some that jumped to mind. The father of our faith, Abraham, waited 25 years for the manifestation of God's promise to him. 25 years. And there were some ups and downs in that. And he questioned God in that. Where is the son that you promised? Until eventually... Eventually. Say eventually. We don't like that word when it comes to faith. Eventually, something within Abraham changed to the place where he became, the Bible says, fully assured that God would do what he said he would do. What about Joseph, who had wonderful dreams and promises from God? And carry those in the midst of intolerant and, and very jealous brothers. Was sold into slavery. And then finally found some prominence, found some, some good things in life and thought, finally God's coming through for me and then found himself in the dungeons. And what did he think then? He went through trials and tests until eventually those promises from God came to fruition. What about Moses? The man who led the people of Israel out of, out, of the, out of Egypt. He spent 40 years in the wilderness. And when God finally appears to him in a burning bush and says, now's your time, Moses, the next thing he has to overcome is not some Pharaoh or anything else. The thing he had to overcome was himself. <laughs> you see, generally in the journey of faith, it's not the outside things that need overcoming. It's the inside doubts and insecurities that cripple us and cripple our faith. After Moses and the Red Sea and the destruction of the people of, 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 of Egypt, uh, I was listening to something the other day. I thought it was really funny that most, the, 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 the people of Israel and Moses arrive at the Red Sea and they uh, cry out to him, Moses, what's going on? And he says, don't fear. These people who are chasing you, this entire army, you won't see them anymore. And then he goes to God and says, God, did you hear what I just said? <laughs> There was a faith there. He knew that despite all these things, somehow, in some way, God was going to bring it to be. Then you have Joshua. What's the first thing he has to face? The walls of Jericho. There's a, how many of you know Veggie Tales? 
VeggieTales are animated things made for kids that tell Bible stories. And, in, and when they tell the story of Jericho, there's a bunch of little peas, because it's all vegetables, that are sitting up on the walls of Jericho. And they sing a little song, and I love the song. It says, keep walking, but you won't knock down our walls. Keep walking. And I forget it, but it, it says, it's plain to see your brain is very small to think walking will be knocking down our walls. <laughs> Didn't make any sense. <clears throat> but that's what Joshua had to face, the testing of his faith that walking around a wall would cause it to crumble and fall. Crazy. Gideon had to overcome his own insecurities as well. David, his faith in God, had to stand and keep him strong in the midst of being pursued and trying to be killed by Saul. What about Elijah in the face of the prophets of Baal and the challenges that they made? What about the disciples? The disciples of Jesus who journeyed with him and then after his resurrection, journeyed for him in the power of the Spirit. All but John himself were martyred. And they tried to martyr John. I think he was boiled in all twice. He's the crispy disciple. He's the only one that, that died of natural causes eventually. All of them martyred for their faith, for what they believed. Does that sound like the kind of faith we peddle today? God's got a good plan. He wants it to be happy and a comfortable life for you. He wants you to be blessed and have a nice house and drive a beautiful car. Amen? Oh, that's a very unsure amen. Does he? Doesn't he? You see, it's very interesting. When, 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 who was it that went to go lay, lay hands on Paul? Silas? No. Ananias, thank you. When Ananias, when God speaks to Ananias and says to him, go lay hands on, on, on Saul, who, who I've called, he says, are you sure this guy is the persecutor of the Christians? And God says to him, I will show Paul the things he must suffer for my sake. And if you read the story of Paul's life, it is one of sacrifice, it is one of suffering. He was beaten with 39 lashings, which is one away from a death sentence numerous occasions. He spent his last days in prison and under house arrest. There were many things that he suffered, and you know what? He suffered them by faith. He suffered them with joy for the cause of Jesus Christ, which was greater to him than his own comfort. Amen? And what about Jesus himself? What kind of faith must he have had in that garden of Gethsemane when he was there so aware of what is about to happen, crying out to his father, saying, Lord, if there be any, any other way, take this cup from me, but yet nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. And as he hung on that cross, the fullness of his faith was manifest in the words, Lord, into your Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. I trust you completely. Where are you in your journey of faith? What are the things that you are believing God for? What are the areas of your life where breakthrough is necessary? Whether that be a practical thing like financial provision, whether it be a practical thing like healing and restoration, whether it be something deep and internal like deliverance from a mindset or a besetting sin, the ability to forgive and truly let go. Maybe it's the ability to submit and to follow and to trust in the leading of the Lord. 
What promises or calling from God are you believing as you trust Him and continue to look to Him for fulfillment? These are really good questions. You know, it's really interesting. Sometimes I sit with people and I say, what are you believing God for right now? Generally, the answer is, oh, I don't know. And that shouldn't be the case. I think if you dig a little deeper, there are hopes and dreams that you carry within your heart that perhaps you haven't articulated to yourself or to the Lord yet. But yet you're looking to Him with hope that these things will come to pass. It is really good for us to know what these things are, to understand the areas that God is working in our lives. Hebrews 10, verse 35 to 11, verse 2. Well, let me, let me start here. Hebrews 11, verse 1 says this, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We all know that scripture very well, right? But, you know, we normally start reading there. We should start reading that a few verses before, and that's what I want to do, starting at verse 35 from chapter 5. I beg your pardon, from chapter 10. It says, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back. And are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Now, this faith they're talking about, what is it? Is the substance of things hoped for, or the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen? You see, faith is simply a trusting response to what God has said concerning both our life on earth as well as our life into eternity, and it is based solely on the promises that He makes to us. It's, it's, it's an attitude of heart which says, I believe it because you said it. There are some things in life you won't, you won't believe until you hear it coming out of a certain person's mouth. That is what faith truly is. I trust you who say it almost more than I trust the words. And that is what we ought to be like with God. I trust you who say it because when it comes out of your mouth, I know that it's true. I know that I can stake my life on it. Verse 6, Without faith it is impossible to please Him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and He rewards those who diligently seek Him. Please note the context here. The context is in the midst of trials, in the midst of struggles, in the midst of confusing times where things are not easy, where things may not be going the way we expect them to, or according to the picture that God paints for us in His Word. James, the Jesus of, the, the, the Jesus of brother. James, the brother of Jesus, the disciple wrote, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet, various, or tr- when you meet trials of various kinds. How many of you counted joy when you meet trials of various kinds? Look, I've got to be honest with you folks. That's not my knee-jerk reaction. That's not my instant, yay! But there's something of the will here that has to come into play that says, okay, I am being challenged here. I have an opportunity to set my attitude and my 
perspective in the midst of the situation. Why? Because I know that the testing of my faith produces steadfastness. In other words, the ability to stand. The ability to stand. One of the hallmarks of maturity is the ability to stand and keep standing in the midst of trials. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. What this is talking about is lacking nothing in the way of confidence in God and the realization of His promises and His person in our lives. It is knowing what He is up to, and it is trusting Him in the process. It is the faith that is able to sustain and strengthen us to lay hold of what has been promised. The lacking is not just the lacking of something around us, but it's something within us. You see, what defeats us is not what goes on around us. What defeats us is what goes on within us. The Word of God tells us that if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. In other words, there's a steadfastness that you have to build up that has not been built into you yet. James goes on and says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But, he says, let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. That person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Folks, this, I don't know about you, but in my experience, this is generally the greatest challenge in the battle of faith. It's dealing with the questions. It is the the, the vacillation. It is the up today and down tomorrow. It is the, yes, I believe, Lord God, until something new happens or new information comes in and go, but do I really believe? But why didn't you do it the way I expected you to do it? Or maybe I have my faith in a method and I keep using the method and it's not working anymore and now my faith is rattled and shaken. It is the double-mindedness of man. It is the, the jadedness of our faith that undermines what it is that God wants to do in us and through us. And this is the great and the wonderful battle that tests our faith, that shows it for what it is. And I want you to understand something. When God tests you and me, when He tests our faith, when He tests our obedience, it's not so that He will know the quality of it. It's so that we will know the quality of our faith. God knows our hearts. He knows the true depth of our convictions. You see, we we are very, very poor judges of our own character, of our own level of faith. We judge ourselves by our intentions. Other people judge us by our actions. God judges us according to the truth. The Bible says you will know the truth and it will set you free. And the truth is often very uncomfortable. The truth is while I say with my mouth and I have the intention that I love God and He is priority in my life, very often the evidence and the truth suggests otherwise. The truth is, while I say I believe and I trusting in the Lord, very often the evidence of what rolls around in our hearts and minds suggests otherwise. And it's in this deep internal arena that God longs to work and bring us to this place through the testing, dealing with every doubt as it arises, dealing with the questions one by one, dealing and spending time with God and allowing Him to shape and mold our hearts so that eventually they come forth and our faith comes forth as pure and as strong and as true. 
I am learning that it takes time for our faith to gain traction. Traction. What does traction mean? Well, let's look at the analogy of a car. When I was a young believer, and we, looked, we started the Heritage of Faith Bible Institute, the first module was the foundations of faith, and they taught how faith worked. And in that period of my life, I compare myself to a car with a revving engine because I was ready to go, and I was excited about these things. I was excited about believing God for things, and I made a lot of noise. But there was no gear engaged. There was no clutch, and, and I was going nowhere slowly. But I was trusting God. Why? Because I was enthusiastic but ignorant. Zealous without any depth of character. And listen, these are, this, is, this, is, this is natural. It's not a bad thing. And God meets us there and He works with us where we are. But let's be honest, it was a, it, it was in, in my experience, I often say, my first steps of faith were like a baby's steps. I fell on my face a lot. I would take the Word of God, I'd put it in my mouth, I'd believe it, and nothing would change. And until I realized that the things I'm wanting to change won't until something deep changes inside. And that's where the change needed to happen. And so the external stuff just makes a noise. Other times, we spin our wheels. I don't know if you have, any of you have ever been 4 by 4 and Once you're stuck in the sand, you're in trouble. You sometimes apply more power, more energy, more effort, and all you do is you sink deeper and deeper and deeper into the sand. You're not going anywhere. All you're doing is digging a hole. Other times, we stall. <laughs> when I was learning to drive, I did that quite a few times. We stall. Or we get that really awkward clutch connection where it's not quite working and our faith does this. And we come out with whiplash trying to get this thing to work, learning how faith works. And I will say this to you, that other times we get so stuck in our situation, so lost in our own way of thinking, so deeply stuck in the mud that we need the faith of somebody else to come and get us out. I was talking to a friend not long ago who, who does a lot of 4 by 4 and they were talking about uh, something called a snatch strap. And I said, what is a snatch strap? And he says, that is something that you attach to a vehicle, between two vehicles. If one of them is stuck, sometimes to just pull them, you, it's not enough to, to, to try and just pull them out of, of what they're stuck in. So often if there's mud, you know, I don't know if you've ever walked in mud in your, in your gumboots, and you take two, one step in and a second step in, and by the third step you have no more gumboot because it's stuck back there, and your foot's come right out of it. And sometimes cars get stuck like that in the mud. And to just pull, 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 you need, you need something that will give a violent force, a violent pull. And that's what a snatch strap does. It's, you connect it onto a, 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 a more powerful vehicle, a heavier vehicle. It needs to have a sturdy, stra st sturdy and a strong chassis because we were talking about that, that uh, somebody tried to snatch somebody out of the mud and uh, the car drove and their chassis got left behind, their rear chassis. And uh, because the car wasn't, the chassis wasn't strong enough. But a snatch strap is designed to yank somebody out. And folks, sometimes we need to be yanked out. Sometimes we get ourselves so stuck in a situation, so locked in our way of thinking. Sometimes we get stuck in a, in, in a situation of such deep apathy where we, we're happy and we, we're so satisfied with life and things around us that we don't even realize the true state of where, what is going on in our faith. We're stuck. We're stuck spiritually. And we know we're stuck, but we don't quite know what to do about it. We need help. We're stuck in a sin, but we don't know how to overcome it. We need help. 
We're stuck in a way of thinking. And we know that there's light on the other side, but we can't even see the tunnel, never mind the light. And sometimes we need somebody's faith to come along and snatch us out of those things. But all of these analogies speak about learning to, how to align our hearts and to grow in our faith in what God says. And it takes time and it takes practice. Sometimes it takes failure. You know, you learn a lot through failure. Any, any successful businessman, any successful sportsman will tell you, you can either, what, your mistakes and your failures, either let them make you bitter or better. That's one of the, the cliches they throw out. But you can learn a great deal about yourself, about your character, about your gifts, your strengths, your weaknesses through failure when you apply the right heart attitude to it. And I want to say that, that faith, when we believe in God and we're looking to Him and things aren't going as we expect, as we've been praying for, we begin to learn. You see, either we're going to start pointing fingers at God and saying, you're not doing what you said you would do. And a lot of people do that. They lose complete faith. They lose confidence in the Lord. Their, their, their trust is more in method than it is in the person of God. And when things aren't working out for them, well, this service provider is not doing his job anymore. I'll go find another service provider. But God and walking with Him is not like that. When things are not going the way we, sh we the, 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 the way the Word of God says it should, there's something wrong. And this journey of discovering how to cope with that and deal with that and be transformed by that and allow God to do the work in us, that is how we grow. That is how we take steps. And as we take one step of obedience after another one, sometimes falling down and allowing God to pick us up, sometimes moving a little way, sometimes spinning our wheels, sometimes we learn and we grow and our faith eventually begins to gain traction and begins to work and begins to produce fruit. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 12, says this. Finally, my brethren, it says, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. This is what faith does. It says, I am strong not because I am strong, but because my God is strong. All those examples that we looked at earlier on demonstrate the power of God in the midst of human situations where He does what is miraculous and what man cannot do. So Paul says here, have faith, and it says, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Be strong in Him and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Folks, there is a devil who has alternate plans for your life. He wants to see your destruction. And let's be honest, it's not personal. It's not actually you he hates, but because you are the treasured one of the one he despises. Anything that he can do to you is considered a victory in his eyes because he knows it will break and hurt the heart of the Father. But there is a devil. There is an adversary who plots and plans against us. Paul says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now I want to say, just do a quick analogy with you, please. Tanae, would you, would you come here, please? The point I'm trying to demonstrate here is there is no such thing as passive wrestling. So do you, I won't hurt you, but just be very passive. Just do what I say, okay? 
make your hand, look forward, look forward, look, look ahead. No, 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 don't resist me, don't resist me. Just look ahead, look ahead. Why are you hitting yourself, Tanae? Okay, but your first response was the right one. Try that one again. You're not going to let me just do this to you, right? Thank you, Tanae. There is no such thing as passive wrestling. But I think so often we allow the devil to come and say, yeah, you're not good enough. And yeah, you know, you, God can use him, but he can't use you. And you're too dumb. And you don't have enough money. And you're not gifted enough. And you're not anointed enough. And you, you let him slap you around a little bit. You're not worthy of it. Have you ever heard of imposter syndrome? You don't deserve it. All these things. And we let him do this. And Paul is saying, stop it. It's foolishness. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and power. As soon as one party is passive, the other has their way. Sometimes when I counsel people and they're in the mire and there's difficult things going on in their lives, I turn to John 10 and 10, and it says this, that the enemy comes to seek only, to, 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 the enemy seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life. When you look at your life right now, often I say to people, how's he doing? How's the enemy doing? He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And they, they, when, when you look at it from that perspective, they look and they go, he's actually doing a really good job. He's stealing my joy, my, my possessions. He's stealing my marriage. He's stealing my, 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 my calling. He's, he's, he's destroying me in the process. He's doing a good job. And I say, okay, so what are we going to do about that? Are we going to sit back and let him? Or is there a measure of something that needs to happen in us? And this is where Paul goes. He says, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Not sit, not roll over, stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with the truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one, take on the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance, there we have it again, and supplication for, this, for all saints. And Paul says, also, while you're praying and while you're standing, pray and stand for me as well. That utterance may be given to me that I will open my mouth, mouth boldly and make known the mystery of the gospel. Every one of these weapons, I'm not going to go into detail on them all, but every single one of them refers to a deep, realization and a revelation that you and I need to have in Christ Jesus. These realizations and revelations form the foundation for our faith and determine the outworking of our faith. The belt of truth that we are girded not by some fallacy, not by some imagination, not of a God of our own making or design, but we are girded with the truth that we, apart from Jesus, are hopeless sinners. But yet, because and in Jesus Christ, we have been made the breastplate of the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. In other words, when God sees me, He doesn't see me as unworthy because He considered me worthy to die for. And so I walk around with my heart guarded from the lies that I am not worthy by this breastplate that says, God has made me 
righteous. He's made, brought me into right standing. That means I can be in His presence. The shod, uh, shod your feet with the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace. That I can go out and preach and share and make peace wherever I go. Because I am at peace with God, I can be at peace with others. This helmet of salvation speaks of the way I'm thinking. The revelations that I need to have. That I am saved by God for good works. And the enemy may want to attack that area of your life. Perhaps, and then we've got the shield of faith, which seems to be the only, uh, which people say is a defensive weapon. But you know, a shield is a very powerful weapon. Shaka Zulu is famous for coming up with a new way of, of fighting, where they took the long spears and he cut them short and he took the shields and he says, yes, you use your shields for protection, but you also use your shield to shift open so that you can stab with the sword or with the, with the asagai. That was the method of fighting that made him famous and his army so fearful. The sword of the Spirit, all of these, when these things that we have and we carry, the Spirit of God within us, that our faith in God is unyielding and, and can, can stand as a shield of, to, to, uh, to, to our lives and to our well-being, all of these are deep revelations that need to take place and form the building blocks of our ability to be able to walk this walk of faith and to endure and to stand the wiles and the plans that the enemy has for us. For me, righteousness was a big one. For other people, not so much. For other people, it's the realization of the Holy Spirit. Now, it doesn't matter which one it is for you. Where are you struggling and what is the area that you see the enemy attacking you? That's the area that needs to be strengthened. Let me read you a couple more scriptures just in closing. Hebrews 12, verse 1 to 3 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, speaking of the heroes of the faith that we spoke about earlier on, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In other words, consider what Jesus endured for you when your faith becomes tested, when things are not going the way you planned. Because God had a plan. You see, the thing that enabled Jesus to endure was the joy that was set before him. He knew the plan, and he gave himself to the plan. You and I, folks, have been given the plan. We've been given the plan. And his plan, when it becomes a real part of our hearts and our lives, and we are given entirely to it, we will begin to walk out and see through that plan even through difficult times. I love these words from Jesus. John 16, 33, he says, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In this world you're going to have tribulation, but take heart. I've overcome the world. There was a time when I was really struggling. Tonight, come here again, please. There was a time when I was really struggling. I won't hurt you this time, I promise when I was really struggling with some things in my life. And um, Jesus, in a, in, a, in a proverbial sense, came and put his arm around me like a big brother and said, listen, 
I know you're going to have these trials. You are going to have these hard things. When you, when you go to high school, this is what's going to confront you. When you go to university, this, and in this job, these are the things that are going to happen. But you know what? I've done those things, and I'm going to show you how to win. All he needs to do is listen to what I'm going to tell him. Okay, so when you go in there tomorrow, this is what you do. Then you tell me what happened. And it is as simple as that. Those are the little journeys, the little steps of faith that we take one at a time, day by day, that add up. And eventually, over time, our smooth tires become knobbly wheels and we gain traction. And our faith begins to take our life and our calling into the direction and the destiny that God has planned and prepared for us. But you're going to have to stand. You're going to have to endure. Not screaming and crying and fussing and fighting about, God, when will it end? Look to Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Him, as the hymn says. And look full in His wonderful face. And as you do, the things of this earth will become strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Would you stand with me, please? We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.